Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends and probably some rando too, but no complaining because this is free. Free. This is beauty and the beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. I just finished a guest appearance on the Good Intentions podcast hosted by Dave Rail. I spoke to Dave about a broad variety of topics from news items like Charlottesville and Donald Trump to broader philosophical concepts at the basis of my political and cultural worldview. I thought this was a great conversation. I thought Dave was a great host. So if you like what you hear, and I hope that you will find the links to the Good Intentions podcast in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. It rings true that the road to hell was paved with good intentions, but the source of almost all evil acts is ascribing malice to the positions of others. We can't have a civil society without believing in the good of one another. I'm Dave Rail, and this is the Good Intentions Podcast. In every episode, I'm joined in conversation with someone thoughtful. We may agree, we may disagree. Regardless, we share a common goal in the advancement of humanity and civil discourse. It looks like we are live. Dave Rail here, Good Intentions Podcast with Matthew Christensen. Uh, Matt, actually, I guess it's Matt. I've seen, I've sure. seen both, right? You, Do you, you prefer can go Matt or the, Matthew? Yeah, you can go with my full name. I'm, I don't, uh, I don't take offense to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. My email right. is Matthew, so you know when I'm trying. I, to I think formal. that's where I saw it. Yeah. That's probably it. Yeah. yeah. Matt Christensen, I guess, is what I see in YouTube. Yeah. I've, uh, I, I'm impressed with you, man. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed. I, I think I came across you with the whole Evergreen State debacle, right? The whole thing wow. with, uh, you know, students yelling at administrators and teachers and all of that stuff, and and your coverage yeah. of it was just reasoned, right? I see you uh, covering stuff in the news, and uh, and to me, you know, from a reasoned perspective, and we, I think we share a an emphasis on that. The, the the idea that somebody is evil because they have a different posi- position than me is is uh, it's it's probably the biggest problem we're facing in the world today. So yeah, well, thanks for the kind words, and um, you summarize what I think is a major cultural problem: the idea that if we disagree, it's not merely because we have a different prioritization of the facts, or we have a different set of facts, or we I don't know we're not reasoning through the same reasoning, whatever. It's because there's a moral superiority and a moral inferiority. That's a a shame. And I don't know how we recover from that culturally. Like, how are we supposed to be friends and disagree if I view that your opinion makes you morally inferior to me? Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't don't know how we get past that, right? I mean, there, there is so much, you know, if you have a different opinion, you're a Nazi, right? I mean, it, it's not its not merely you're ignorant, which I think is a problem in itself, right? I mean, there, there's so many people go around hurling the accusation of ignorance. And I guess my response to that is, well, yeah, I'm ignorant. There are a lot of things of which I 
have no knowledge, right? Every single one of us is ignorant. Um, But at the same time, right, when I say you are ignorant, uh, that seems to be a statement of, well, I'm not, right? It's it's a it's, sure. a, it's an argument from a position of I am uh, superior, right? I guess to uh, I, it's uh, it's painful to deal with the way that uh, discourse has gotten. Yeah, well, it's that classic Socratic line, that Socrates line of the only reason Socrates was wise is because he knew that he was unwise. There's a lot of intellectual humility that is um, that's missing these days too, and I think we're all guilty of. Uh, failing to show that. I know I do like anybody else. Um, I think if you want to avoid trapping yourself intellectually, having like a poor discussion performance or a poor debate performance or whatever you're doing, even in a live stream like this, don't pretend to know things that you don't know. Like I am fully prepared to say, look, I have a very casual understanding of this. I'll give you a shoot from the hip opinion, but it's probably not that great. That's one of the reasons I like doing the video stuff so much is at least twice a week, often more, I get to sit down and look at an issue or look at a problem and and try to approach it. Granted, I have my biases like anybody else, but I want to approach it and really understand the facts and really understand the problem and get a detailed understanding of it and come to the best conclusion that I have. That's why I love doing this as a quote unquote job because it's, it's, it's just stimulating and fun. Uh, and, and it's what I love doing. Um, but to your point, yeah, don't pretend to know things that you don't because that's going to get exposed really quick yeah. if you do. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing there's not a damn thing wrong with saying I don't know, right? And that's uh in my in my background as a software developer, right? There's it seems particularly pernicious in that field that nobody wants to admit that they don't know something. It's it's this, you know, yeah. this constant, you know, battle of the alpha geek to try to be the the person who knows the thing that somebody doesn't know. And it's yeah. it's ugly. And I have, I've spent very little time with computer science. I did take one class in college, but what I liked about it, and I I don't have practical knowledge. Um, I took like an entry level class, but what I loved about it, and it was with the professor's own language is they're, they're often in computer science, as with a lot of things in life there, there's not often one correct answer. Like there's a lot of different ways to solve a problem. Some are better than others. Some are more simple than others. Some are more efficient than others. There's a lot of different ways to skin the cat. And that's what I loved about that class. Like I loved not the coding, you know, not like the, not really the geeky part of it, but the creative problem solving. That was awesome. And that's one thing about, I wish I knew more about in like the software development world, but I got a lot of respect for, for people who do that. Yeah. Well, it's usually not that simple too, right? One solution is not necessarily clearly superior to another because one is better in performance while the other is better in simplicity. And so it's this constant balancing act. And I think that's, that's a, a good example for the, you know, our approaches to life, right? How we see the world and, you know, the, that, you know, going down a path of being, take for example the phony dichotomy that i don't really buy is really real the dichotomy of of conservative versus liberal right i mean there are there are many reasons that you might choose one of those and there are situations where one might be superior to the other or i mean all, all of the things are really matters of opinion but i don't know when when, yeah. I, when i see conservative versus liberal i see arguments over who should wield power rather than anything uh, principled about the yeah. nature of what they should do with it well, that, that's why that dichotomy has become less meaningful to me, too. The real cultural dichotomy that I see and that matters to me is that libertarian versus authoritarian dichotomy. I think that's more meaningful culturally and in terms of government. The idea of, you know, should, should someone be telling you what to think, what to do, how to live your life, generally speaking, or should you be free to do that so long as you aren't 
imposing or impeding upon other people. And um, that authoritarian libertarian split doesn't really have a bearing along the left or the right. Like I, I think culturally we've seen that change over time. We've seen the conservative Christian church ladies telling you not, you know, you can't play these video games because they'll make you violent or whatever. And then now you have the Anita Sarkeesians of the world doing the same thing. Don't watch these movies. Don't play these video games. You'll become a sexist, racist, homophobe, whatever else. Um, I more than anything, I want to maintain a generally libertarian cultural outlook. You live your life. I live my life. As long as I don't mess up yours and you don't mess up mine, we'll be good. Yeah, we are in complete agreement on that. And in fact, the, the label liberal libertarian is something that I, I take on, you know, gratefully, right? I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of baggage associated with that term. And, um, you know, you're using that in contrast to authoritarianism. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I certainly endorse that view of it. I would go even further with that in, uh, you know, government is a net negative and, and a lot of those kinds of things. But uh, sure. Yeah. L let me clarify that I don't necessarily use it in the party. Yeah. Yeah. term. Yeah. I want to be at home with the Libertarian Party, but they keep doing things like nominating Gary Johnson among <laughs> some other things that I just, it's like, guys, I, I want, I want you to be my home. I'm available to you. I'm ready for you, but you just can't seal the deal on very important things like candidate selection. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe, yeah. maybe there's a future. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about your labeling yourself, uh, you know, libertarian and those kinds of things. And, but, but first I, I, I just, you know, so don't let me forget that because I, I want to ask about you specifically because I've wondered, because I've, I've heard you talk about like, uh, you know, being uh, more left centered in the past or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. No, I used to be a reliable democratic voter. I voted Obama twice. I had never voted for a Republican until the president, until Trump. Uh, and it, this, this, it's probably been about the last year and a half that's really changed a lot of my political worldview. I can't tell how much of it is me changing and how much of it is the left veering off into that authoritarian wasteland that I can't go with them to. Um, but there's been a change. Yeah. There's been a change. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable, right? You, you mentioned kind of the uh, it used to be the evangelical church ladies, right? And I, I think um, when I got interested in you know matters of state and social concerns and all of that stuff, right? Because I mean, for you know, as a kid growing up, I, I really didn't care, right? I'd, I'd hear you know so and so is running for president, and it's like eh, you know it doesn't much matter to me. It's kind of funny. I've kind of gotten back to that point where I don't care who wins the popularity contest, but yeah. you know it's. Um, I, I didn't care that much. And then I started to become aware that there was this, this evangelical Christian, uh, you know, focus on the family. You cannot do these things, right? It's wrong to be a homosexual. And that not only does that mean that I'm not going to be one, but you can't either. Right. And, and that, that was kind of my, my, uh, first impression into why these things mattered was, was that there was this right wing suppression, this, this insistence on anti-freedom that, that I saw from the right. And so, you know, my natural conclusion was, well, then being a Democrat must be the right answer, right? The, the, uh, yeah. the friend of my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend or something along those lines, right? And uh, it is really remarkable that I think for the most part, in, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, especially homosexual marriage and, and all of those kinds of things, equality, I, I think the religious right has mostly come around, right? They've mostly gotten to a point of, yeah, I still think it's wrong, but you know what, to each his own, do your yes. thing, I'll do mine, and I'm not going to do it. I think, you know, there's still an element of uh, preachy judgment there, but, uh, but it, it's mostly... 
um, not necessarily the the state of that. And the the judgmental preachyism, right, has has come. You know, it, it's it's full circle, right? It's it's now the social justice warrior movement is the is the uh, the, the preachy judgment and and the denouncing. Right. You know, you're the bad guy. Right. And th that issue has been so fascinating to me because honestly, when I was younger and I was forming my political worldview, the issue of marriage equality was very important to me. I thought, man, you know, that's messed up. Like I have gay friends. It's not cool that they won't have the same legal rights under marriage that I would have. I don't think that's right. We need to get this fixed. And then the Supreme Court decides. And, you know, some people don't think that was the, the proper uh, method to, to make the change. They don't think the court decided correctly. It's not within the scope of the court's uh, of the court's role, whatever. But we got we got marriage equality. And generally I thought, okay, that's great. We can move on. Good enough. The problem is the, sh the shift that has happened after that is exactly what you're describing. It's not just that we have to have marriage equality. It's it, we, we have to have this, I guess what I call equality of opinion is the way that I think about it, which means not only must we have marriage equality, but you must personally be in favor of it. And you must think that it's great. And, and yeah. if you see the gay couple walk down the sidewalk, you must run up and say, so happy for you. This is really great. Love you guys. No, that's not the way it works. You're free to oppose it in the privacy of your own home and your own head. And you're free to say, well, I don't think it's a great idea, but you know, it's not for me. I'm not going to do it. Um, but, but suddenly we've had this kind of like opinion policing that if it comes out that you're like the Chick-fil-A guy, who says, you know what, I believe in traditional marriage. Ooh, boycott, ban him. He's evil. No, he just has an opinion different than you. And I will always defend people's liberty to, to be who they want to be and behave how they want to behave, again, as long as they're not imposing or impeding on somebody else. But that includes having the opinions that you want, regardless of how repulsive yes. those opinions may be to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and, and it's not only that, too. It's, it's not only that you have to have the right opinion. But you have to participate, right? The baking yeah. of the cake, right? You yeah. you cannot choose not to participate in this thing. You must, you know, the, it's it's insisted that uh, if somebody wants you to participate in their gay wedding, you you have yeah. no choice in the matter. You will be compelled. Yeah, that was another. I. I... I believe that was another Gary Johnson thing that he was on the yeah. the you must bake side. Yeah, um, yeah. Which um, previously in my old days, I'm kind of leaned on the other side of that. Like when I was still in the Democratic Party phase, because I thought, well, man, you know, should should businesses be able to refuse uh, clientele based on race or gender or anything else? That seems messed up. But the more I think about it and the more I've been persuaded, look, I think businesses should be able to refuse service on any criteria they want. It's I think it's a very poor decision, business decision to say, I'm going to exclude this entire class of people from my business. And I think you're going to get a lot of poor Yelp reviews if you do that. And I think the market will probably correct it. But as a, as a general principle, exactly like you're saying, uh, a transaction of any kind is mutually agreed upon by two parties. And if one of the parties doesn't agree for whatever purpose, I don't think the government has any role in saying, no, 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 you must yeah. provide this service. You must participate. No, they might be a scumbag for not participating, but you know, we often don't um, frequent the businesses of scumbags. Yeah. I, I would say two things to that, right? One is that um, the, the, 
the compulsion to participate in a transaction because you are running a business well you know if if a white supremacist in their full kkk regalia comes into your bake shop right or yeah. you know a westboro baptist church you know comes into your bake shop puts down their god hates fag signs and asks you to bake them a cake that you know has you know depicting you know something heinous right i i don't think you should have to do that right and i think even it's though the... it would be hilarious i can't imagine baking that cake and not laughing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I recently saw a news story where the, like, there was a kid, you know, some eight-year-old kid, or I don't remember the exact age, but the, he wanted to have a Trump cake and that uh, Baker for his birthday, and bakers were yeah. refusing to bake the Trump cake. Well, and, they should. They should be able to. Absolutely. I don't have a, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's silly, but I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> totally, yeah. It's and, not my business. Yeah, and I think ultimately the mom baked, baked her the own, you know, baked her own cake and, and decorated it as Trump for her kid, which it I think... Was, it was probably better yeah, yeah. Well, mom's mom's cooking is always better hell yes yeah so the other thing that comes to mind of that is uh, you know i i think it's useful in really any of these arguments about liberty and these things to apply your reasoning about a subject to sexuality right and i, I think it's really remarkable that uh feminists align with the idea of you must be compelled to participate right apply this to sexuality right somebody wants to have sex with you and you don't want to there's there's no logical reason in the world that anybody should be compelled to have sex right oh well, i don't know they even they creep on those lines i'm not naming names but i do know some trans advocates who do feel they they toe that line of saying if you are are unwilling to have sex with a person on the basis of genitalia you are a bigot you're a transphobe this and that they toe that line of saying and they, they do the same thing on racial preferences in dating like if you say generally i'm attracted to this race over that race so forth uh, they'll say no no you you it's i don't know that they go as far as to say the state should force you but they say as a matter of being a good person you should date and or have sex with this class of people or this group of people otherwise you're a bad person that that toes on very uh i don't know dicey territory there it's makes me uncomfortable yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah the the judgment right it's it's uh it's exactly what what used to be the norm for the evangelical right which is yeah. Yeah. You get into that box checking territory too. I mean, I, I guess the logical, the extent of that, that reasoning would be, I must check off every race on the list before marriage such that I've had a diverse dating history and I've made my choice completely blind to any race. I, I guess, I don't know. I don't really know yeah. <laughs> what, the, what they, I, I just, I, I think most people, um, they have their preferences. Oh, I think blondes are generally more attractive than brunettes or whatever else. But at the end of the day, you just kind of know it when you see it, yeah. when you're attracted to a person. I don't think anybody really checks off these uh, demographic boxes when they're looking for someone to date or a partner or whatever else. You just know it when you see it. And that's fine. Yeah. That's the way the world works. Yeah, totally. So gay marriage is something that, uh, you know, the, the libertarian in me, right, my, my answer to the whole question of should gays be allowed to be married is uh, why the hell is government allowing or not allowing people to get married anyway, right? Why, why is the definition in the hands of the government to begin with, right? You want to have contracts about uh, who can be considered, you know, making decisions for you on your behalf when you are incapacitated or any of those things, right? Uh, 
yeah, those contracts should there should be easily uh, available, and you should be able to do that. And you know, yeah. call your association marriage if you want to. That's 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 up to you, right? Let's, uh, you know, I, I don't know why this 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 you know the, the these people who won popularity contests get to decide what marriage means to individuals. Sure, I think the one area of pushback that might be viable is, and this is sort of what I regret about a lot of this this progressive push, again, much of which I'm on board with. I do think gay people should have the same legal rights to marry as straight people or whoever else. But what is regrettable to me is a lot of this progressive push has come with a cultural devaluation of the nuclear family. And no matter which way you slice the data, no matter how you look at it, successful children generally come from an intact nuclear family. doesn't mean they can't from other family structures. But I do think culturally, I think there's a debate there. Does the government have a role in this or not? I do think culturally we should try to maintain that um, that high value for the nuclear family because it produces, it gives children the best chance to succeed. Should the government therefore be saying, well, okay, we're only going to allow that heterosexual nuclear family structure and therefore marriage is restricted to this heterosexual arrangement? Maybe not, but I, I, I really worry with like a lot of the feminist agenda and I'm not even blaming, you know, the, the gay marriage crowd necessarily for this. I just think it's been uh, an unfortunate result that, that we have to, or that, that, um, that we've sort of looked down upon that nuclear structure and said, well, it's not important. You know, single moms do fine. This crazy family arrangement does fine. They can, they can, but it doesn't mean it's ideal. There is a proven successful structure here that I think we should try to maintain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly happy raising my children, having a partner in that. And I think that, you know, I, I don't necessarily have, um, you know, uh, empirical studies to tell me why it's better or any of those things. But I, I notice that, you know, I notice a lot of things among, uh, you know, my family and the, the, the families that, you know, my, my kids play soccer with or that I, you know, go to the swimming pool and I observe things. And I see, you know, it, it, it's not absolute, but I see, you know, moms who tell their kids, be careful, don't get hurt. And dads who yeah. say, let's jump in and let's have a good time. And I think, yeah. man, if, if kids are missing either of those messages, that's uh, th that's a deficiency in their upbringing, right? They need, they need oh, to yeah. hear both of those things. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm painting with broad brushes and I could get in a lot of trouble for, for saying this, but I think that there is a general tendency toward that that is kind of the, the parenting role that we kind of tend to, to go toward. And, you know, oh, what, yeah. you know can a homosexual couple give both, you know, both have parents with different roles that give those different messages? Absolutely. Right. Sure. And so I, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, uh, gay people can't raise kids. Of course they can. Right. But uh, I think there, there are some reasons why, you know, we have some inclinations and some things that, uh, that, that we tend toward that, uh, that, that do serve the purpose. And I think there's some, you know, just anecdotal kinds of, uh, it kind of makes sense that this, this idea of mom and dad together and, and showing kids what it's like to love and, and, you know, some of those things there's, there's oh, a lot yeah. of sense to it. Yeah. Even anecdotally, I can tell you that, uh, like my parents are still together and they've been married for, I don't know, since 10 years before I was born. So like late seventies, it's been a long time. And, um, their roles in my life are very different in terms of what they advise me to do and what they provide for me. But I can also tell you too, it's not just the kind of advisory role or the, I don't know, cautionary role versus the let's go have fun role. It's also the stability. Like the reason that I was able to go to school and take on debt 
And the reason that I'm able to do this YouTube project now, which is very risky, you know, like I left a stable job to do this because I love doing it, even though, um, so far money-wise, that was not the right decision, (laughs) but I know that if it crashes and burns, like if it blows up tomorrow and I can't do this anymore, or it's not financially viable, yeah, I have to take a hit to my dignity and I, maybe I have to go live in mom's basement where I belong for a little while while I get back on my feet. But I know that I can do that. And I think that that's so important for any young adult, the the ability to know that you can take a risk and pursue something that's risky that might bring you to new levels you wouldn't have achieved before because you know that if it all goes to crap, you will have a, a place to be. And you will have some stability. That's hugely important. There's no way, if, if it weren't for my mom and dad, there's no way I would have taken the risk that I have and I'm doing what I'm doing now because it would have been just too risky. I would have been turning down stability in favor of uh, an uncertain. And the uncertain is really attractive and fun, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to eat and you got to sleep. Mm-hmm. You got to have shelter and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So, and yeah. there are, there are uh, no kids to have to take care of or any of that stuff? Not well, that's I wouldn't have done it uh, in that circumstance either. Uh, generally in the, in the future, I'm 29 now. Uh, I think about it maybe in like the next five years, but um, yeah. but yeah, that, that's another thing is I don't I just don't have the stability in my life right now for that to for that to be the case. I do think about it and I, I do think it'll be fun when the time comes, but um, yeah. but at present now there are no children involved. Yeah. Well, in that respect, I'm I'm you know years ahead of you. I'm I'm older, a eh? 41, and uh, got three kids, and and just you know just it's it's the most rewarding and wonderful thing I've ever done in my life, right? You know, simultaneously infuriating and and exhilarating, right? And yeah. uh, you know, it, yeah, it's a great thing, and and I'm really happy. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. My wife grew up without a father, um, and uh, so you know with, you know stepdads along the way and. Some of those things, and you know, she's uh, uh, she, she's the the way that she relates to me. I, I can tell that there's some difference in the, you know the the way that uh, you just you know I, I've heard it said. I, I actually heard a, a, a podcaster once say that if you if you come across a woman who doesn't have a great relationship with her father, run right. And <laughs> <laughs> well, no, my my girlfriend's dad is uh, MIA as well, and she's uh, turned out to be a a good stable person. Again, that's that's probably the exception, not the rule. You know. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm not saying my wife's not good. And stable, she is right. I mean, yeah. she's, she's, yeah, yeah. she's had her, uh, you know, some, you know, uh, depression and some things like that. But, 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 yeah. you know, still wonderful human being. But I think that sure. uh, you know that the the experience of having an oppositely gendered parent in in the home uh it it really provides something and, and the same gendered too right I, I i you know i wonder about um you know kids growing up without fathers right both boys and girls yeah. that you know i think that uh you know i i can't quote chapter and verse on on the studies that i've heard about but that they have you know uh higher instances of of criminal uh, behavior and uh, earlier menstruation and puberty and all that kind of stuff and it's uh it, it it's interesting that uh, that it really does manifest itself in in a lot of ways like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, I don't know, but I I, I don't think uh, I don't think the nuclear family is in any kind of danger. You know what I mean? I don't want to sound like some alarmist yeah. tinfoil hattery guy, but <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, I've even I I mean, we've had people push back against us on the podcast as as being some type of hateful people or whatever, just for acknowledging that truth that 
generally speaking, that nuclear family structure is the ideal for which we should aim. And that does not mean that alternative family structures should be disallowed or even frowned upon necessarily. Sure. Um, but it, it does bother me that, you know, at some point we reach a point now where you can't even look at what is successful in terms of the aggregate, like in terms of general trends and say, okay, as a general rule, this is what works the best. Nope. That's hateful. That's bigoted. That's homophobic. That's transphobic. That's whatever. No, it's just, it's the reality of the situation. And of course, uh, it's always a delicate balance. It's like, I want the individual freedom to choose and I want each individual to be able to live the life that he or she chooses but I don't want to abandon what's true about general trends. Like we can't be blinded to what's true generally about the world around us. I, I'll never abandon that either. It's always kind of a, yeah. Yeah. a push and pull between those two forces. Well, I always wonder about truth claims as well, right? I mean, there is evidence suggesting that the nuclear family is the best way that we've come up with so far of raising a family. Um, but th there are a lot of confounding variables, right? It's, it's hard to understand the truth of what's really behind that. And, you know, maybe that evidence is misleading, right? Maybe we're reading those studies wrong. Maybe they were performed in ways that, you know, don't necessarily tell the story, right? The, the conclusions are always suspect. And I think a, a scientific mind always tempers their knowledge with, with the acknowledgement that, hey, this is my understanding of how things work. And there, there may be something better that comes along to supplant that. And so I think, you know, you, you started this conversation talking about humility, right? The, the hubris of saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, of course, I mean, to me, the, the really, you know, looking for policy prescriptions out of the, the benefits or downsides of the nuclear family and all of those things, you know, let's, uh, you know, get policy out of it and let people yeah. make their own decisions. Well, and the trouble with that and what you have to have to get policy out of it, and maybe you and I share this, but I think you have to have a pretty sunny view of the human ability to, to make good choices. Mm. Um, you have to have a pretty optimistic view of the individual's capacity to make good choices for him or herself. Um, and I sort of view that as, look, whatever choices you make for you or yourself, I will trust that they are the best decisions for you or yourself, even if they're not the choices that I would make. But I think the, the pushback is there are several instances that are pretty close to objective good and bad choices in which individuals make clearly bad choices and maybe they shouldn't be maybe they should have someone nudge maybe they should have someone government included nudging them into what is objectively the good way to go uh, yeah i don't know I, I will agree with you that offering advice to those people and trying to convince them of a better choice and when i say them i'm talking about me right i mean i often mm -hmm. make choices that are not in my best interests and you know yeah. we're all trying to learn and do better but i think uh, you know ultimately to me the the core of morality is that People have to make their own choices. You you cannot yeah. you cannot impose you know things on them. And I, you know, case in point of the um, the differences between parents, right? And you know, I, I can speak specifically of my example, and I think that uh, it falls along gender lines largely. This that uh, you know, wearing a coat, right? You know, when my kids go outside, right? It, to me, it's up to them if they're going to decide to wear a coat. And I know that one decision will be better for them than another one. But you know what? I'm going to stay out of it. And if they 
they make the wrong decision, they are going to suffer those consequences and learn from it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the consequences will impose themselves and I don't have to do it. And that's, that's a pretty good way of handling the parenting thing. My wife takes a very different approach that, you know, I care about my children. Right? And I think that th this is kind of my example, right? That, that to me, it's, I care about my children. Therefore, I want them to be exposed to what happens when they make the wrong decision so that they can learn and grow. And my wife says, I care about my children and therefore I want to make sure that they are protected from the cold and I'm going to do everything in my power to get that coat on them before they go out the door. And I, I think, you know, those are both, right, coming from the same premise and honestly, virtuously coming to different conclusions. And so, you know, I think that, um, that you know, that's, that's the reality of the world that we live in. And uh, to me, you know, let people make their own decisions and hopefully they'll learn something from the consequences. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think the, the context is very different too. In the parental role, like you have an obviously uh, advisory role, you know, that is, that is your purpose as a parent is to guide your children into good judgment capacity in adulthood. Um, it, it gets a lot stickier as adults. You know, I think we all, we probably all have that friend. Like some of my best friends are very different from me and we've been friends forever, but our differences are kind of like our differences kind of compliment. So we're good friends. Like one of my, one of my best friends, um, we we just have a very different approach to life. Like I've always been the kind of like nose in the book study, stay on the straight and narrow guy. And he's kind of the like, you know, party time, do whatever, uh, do whatever guy. And even when we were younger, you know, I'd be like, I don't think you should go. I don't think you should go to that party tonight and drink and this and that. And, you know, it, it reveals itself with negative consequences. But even now that we're almost 30 years old, um, I, there are plenty of things that, that, my friends do that. I would say that's a poor choice. I don't think you should be doing that. And there's going to be negative consequences associated with that. And then the negative consequences manifest. And, um, but as an adult, you know, unless they ask me, I've, I've kind of got to the point in my life where unless someone asks me for my advice, I really don't chime in. You know, it's the same thing with talking politics with people because I know it's so divisive and it's so, uh, it's so hard to talk politics with your average person at a bar without it getting heated quickly that when I'm out socially, I, the rule I have, I, I've broken it <laughs> a few times, but my likelihood of breaking it is, you know, it correlates directly with how many drinks I've had, unfortunately. But, um, as a general rule, I won't bring up politics either unless someone directly brings it up, you know? Um, so I just, I try to be as non-confrontational about these things as possible in everyday life. And if people want to talk about it, if someone wants me to speak with them about it, then they'll ask me and then I'll participate. Yeah. The, the advice to not give advice unless it's kind of funny that that's advice, right? But yeah. to, to not give advice sort of unless, paradox, unless yeah. it is explicitly asked, I think is it's not so much necessarily a, you know, a moral or a, what's the right thing to do. It's just more effective, right? If yeah. you, it, nobody likes unsolicited advice. Yeah. It comes across as preachy. Like, oh yeah. I mean, people send me unsolicited advice about YouTube on Twitter and I'm like, Oh, thanks. Great. Or like, think about, um, unsolicited advice, like at the gym, you know, like a guy walking up to some chick and telling her to fix her form or something like that, or just wherever it's nobody likes having some rando come up to you and be like, I noticed you're not doing it the way I would do it. So you should start doing it the way I would do it. No, you can do it the way you would do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it does come across as preaching. It's not effective. But at the same time, right, it, I, I think when you receive that unsolicited advice, we'd all do well to consider that 
this is somebody trying to help me, right? So, you know, I think that there's, there's two sides of it. I think we, we can do a yeah. better job of, you know, uh, relaxing and trying to take it for what it is. And, and, you know, maybe they do have something useful to offer. So, you know, I, I think at the same time, is it is advisable to not advise, uh, you know, unsolicitedly. At the same time, you know, to, to, to take it a little bit more kindly when it does happen. Yeah, maybe I just have a unique, uh, I mean, everyone has their pet peeves. That's definitely one for me. Like a part of the reason I don't do that advice to other people is because I know how much I hate it when someone comes to me unsolicited and tells me how to do something. It's the same reason I hate, even if it's something I welcome, I hate when people knock on my door and tell me how to vote Mm. or want to sell me something or whatever. It's just like, this is my home. You, if you are invited to come here, great, but you're not right now. So you need to leave. And I don't care what you have to say. Like, it's just, it's even if what they have, even if the advice that they have is the greatest advice I've ever received, it's something about the imposing of it that just, it just bugs me. Maybe, maybe it's an irrational pet peeve of mine, but it's something I can't get over. (laughs) I just hate it. So I try not to do it to other people. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's good. So on that topic of voting, right? You said you voted for Trump, right? Um, Doesn't that make you a white supremacist, sexist, misogynist, all of those kinds of things? Depends who you ask. I've been called all of those things uh, in varying degrees, yeah. Mm. Um, Truthfully, the the reason that I voted for him, well, I can tell you. um, So I voted for Obama twice, um, and generally I people will be pissed at me for saying it. Generally, I still am a fan of the guy insofar as I believe that he's a good intentioned person who generally wants to speak to a variety of people. Now, I think he had some policy ideas that didn't pan out, like some policy ideas that didn't work out. But I don't consider him as like this devil incarnate that a lot of people do or like some secretly African born (laughs) communist revolutionary or whatever. I don't consider him on that level. Um, (laughs) But so I, I consider him as a well-intentioned guy with some ideas that were probably a little bit too pie in the sky. That's kind of how I look at Obama. And then Hillary came around and like anybody else, man, I look at Hillary and see somebody who just licks her finger, puts it to the political winds and says, aha, okay, gay marriage is polling at 51% now. Now I'm in favor of it. That kind of person where I can't, not only can I not trust you to follow your principles, but I just can't trust you on a variety of things in terms like all her shady dealings, uh, and, and, uh, I don't know, crooked Hillary, uh, developments that we're all familiar with now. She just did, there was no way I was ever going to support Hillary. So that was off the table, but I wasn't enthused about Trump because Trump is just kind of this bombastic jackass <laughs> who doesn't really have what seems like clear ideas either. What started to flip it for me what specifically the event in Chicago where Trump had a big rally in Chicago and this was March, 2016 and there, and a whole bunch of left-wing protesters shut it down by force, like through rowdiness, through violence, they got the event canceled and everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people I looked up to, or a lot of people with whom I associated on the left were going, Oh yeah, we got the event canceled. Well done. Well done. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, yeah, Trump's a jackass, but why are we celebrating the deplatforming of a political speech? When have we become like the anti-free speech people? And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse as the summer went on. So it wasn't just like the social justice 
anti-freedom angles that they had in a lot of things, but it was specifically the hostility to free speech and the celebration of removing people's platforms that I thought, all right, you know, I don't know that I agree with Trump on X, Y, and Z. And in fact, he seems like kind of an idiot on a lot of things, but I trust him somehow at this point, he's the better guy on free speech, even though he has his faults. Like he's talked about, you know, his libel laws and he wants to sue reporters and this and that. But Ultimately, the, the the primary cultural value that I will not compromise on, it's the most important thing to me, is free speech. Because free speech is the mechanism by which we discover and separate good ideas from bad ideas. You want to find the truth? You want to find good ideas? Free speech cannot be compromised. So it was on that basis that I made the decision. Um, and it it was as much a rejection of the entire left, the authoritarian left, as it was of their candidate. You know, like it wasn't even as much about Hillary to me as it was just like a middle finger to all those people who think it's cool to boot someone off of their political podium. And, uh, and, and so far, you know, uh, Trump, like Trump hasn't really changed at all. There's a lot of stuff that he does that I agree with. There's a lot of stuff that he does that I think is dumb. And there's a lot of stuff that he does that I just kind of scratch my head because it doesn't really make sense. But it's always entertaining. And so at least from the perspective of someone <laughs> who spends his time talking about these sorts of things, I appreciate it from the entertainment perspective, too. Um, but I don't I don't foresee a way in which I will be available to the Democratic Party again until they stop this anti-free speech nonsense and specifically until they stop dividing everybody up by race and, and gender and class. It's, it's, it's all become very Marxist, you know, the oppressor and the oppressed classes, uh, not just economically Marxist, culturally Marxist. And it's just too far for me. So until they get some more, there are some Western Democrats out here. Like I voted for our democratic governor in Montana, previously voted for our democratic Senator, John Tester. They are more sane on a lot of things and land issues in Montana here are very, important, like locally important. So I, I tend to agree with them on a lot of land issues. So I'll, I'll vote democratic in Montana occasionally still, but generally speaking, like next presidential election, I don't think any of the assumed front runners at this point have any chance of getting uh, my vote in, in that party. Yeah, you know, I the last time I voted was 2012, and it, you know, I I just I'm I have decided. In fact, I filled out the form to unregister as a voter because ultimately I think that you know the idea that uh, the person who should wield power or over me should be determined by a popularity contest is kind of a a silly notion to me, and I, I don't uh, I, I don't really subscribe to it anymore. And I mean that's that's been a you know a gradual growing of things. But when I think back, that's like next level libertarian, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Screw the system, man. Yeah, I mean I, I do what I want. <laughs> I, I, I go back and forth on whether I really want to apply the term anarchist to myself, right? That, that's a label that I, you know, I, I, I do generally think that, uh, that that government is a net negative and that the central premise of government is that might makes right, right? Which is really a central premise of humanity. And the, the intent is, yeah. the, you know, the, the intent is basically to, to that uh, because we are fearful of having someone gain a lot of power, we're going to have someone gain a lot of power to prevent anybody else from gaining a lot of power. So, you know, it's, I, I think there's, um, the, the, the central premise is off. And I, I think, you know, while, uh, I understand that, uh, that, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, Federalist 51, right. The, the, if all men were angels, then no government would be necessary. Right. I, I think, you know, because men are not angels, well, th there is a case to be made for why government is necessary. But I think the corollary to that is that, you know, good government is really only possible if all men are angels, or at least the men in government. Right. And and I think the, the idea that we're going to take this class of people that have all the virtue and they think 
not of themselves, but everyone else. And we're going to call them politicians and put them in charge. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. So when I think back about the votes that I have cast, especially in presidential elections, uh, you know, the, there's been twice that I ever voted for someone uh, instead of against someone else, right? And one was when I was 18 years old, and I had no idea what I was talking about. And I believed that these politicians were that class of selfless people, right? Uh, you know, clearly wrong. And then in 2012, I voted for Gary Johnson. And, you know, that was before Aleppo and before endorsing, you know, forcing bakers to bake cakes and all of those kinds of things. So God, you know, man, he was uh, the underrated sideshow of this last election cycle. Really enjoyed covering him, all his bizarre outbursts that he had. But what you hit on, I think, is a very important question that I think we as a country need to have, and I think is probably at the, the heart of our cultural divide. And that question is, what is the appropriate role of government? And that is a, the answer to that question has been evolving in my head for a long time, um, ever since their hostility to free speech really got me to question, well, what does government really exist to do? And the more I think about it, the, the more I've come to the conclusion, as a lot of people have more eloquently described, but it exists to protect your rights as an individual. Fundamentally, that's what it exists for. It doesn't exist to give you things. It doesn't exist to to hand you things. We can argue maybe there's a role for government investment to provide opportunity for people, but it's not. It, does, it doesn't exist to hand you a check or something like that. It exists to protect your rights as an individual and your right to operate freely within society as an individual without being impeded upon. And I don't think a lot of the, the authoritarian leftists would answer that question um, the same way. And if we have wildly divergent views about that question, because I think our, our answer to that question culturally used to be more closely aligned between the, the quote unquote left and right and the Democrats and the Republicans. There was kind of a like eh, governments should do a little bit more here and a little bit less here. But now we've got people who say, I mean, I, honestly, I believe uh, the people who believe government should be a quasi God, yeah. like government should do anything and everything and literally provide you with your livelihood, your welfare. And there's plenty of people on the far end of that too. Maybe you fit there where it's like uh, government should do basically nothing. But but the difference, the difference there is I don't see a lot of you guys trying to impose that. That's I've always thought that's kind of an interesting. Because uh, I always think about that in the context of like the Muslim world too, is like we want a free democratic Muslim world. But how do you, but they don't want that. So how do you go yeah. like impose yeah. Force them freedom to and for liberty? Like, no, you will have liberty <laughs> yeah. whether you like it or not. That's kind of, um, I don't see guys like you doing that. Totally. totally. You're, you're making the case of why liberty is important and why liberty is what we should strive for. You're not saying, um, most people aren't saying we should, I don't know. Maybe you do think we should like forcibly dismantle the government <laughs> or something. I, I don't know. No, I, but, um, you know, I, I, do, I think that, uh, that, I, well, you articulated, I think, pretty well what I think of government, right? To, to the extent that good government is possible, it is exactly what you described. It is protecting individual liberty, right? I think there are really three threats to our liberty, right? One of them is the external invaders, right? You know, some uh, foreign nation that has an army that's going to take away our liberty. The other is yep. one another, right? We, we need yep. to fear each other. And, you know, that, that's what police forces are for and those things, right? That That's the, the arm of government. And I think usually police forces tend to be more of a threat to us than they are a protection to us. But, you know, the, so, you know, 
and, and that and hence my, you know, my apprehension about government and all of these things. And then the third threat to our liberty is government itself. And, uh, you know, in the United States, in theory, we have a constitution that is defined to protect us from the government. But I mean, it's been, um, it, it's, it's been mostly ignored, right? I mean, the, the, you know, general welfare is used as the club that says, well, the constitution will allow anything and it's lost all of its effectiveness. So I think, yeah. you know, I, I, I think a, a stateless society would be uh, probably an improvement over what we have now because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, well, I think something resembling a state I, I could get on board with if, if it is uh, constrained to protect liberties and it is funded voluntarily, right? I think that that's ultimately the thing, oh, right? You know, that's I, interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. one, I'm one of those taxationist theft guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've thought a little bit about that and I don't... Uh, because it's always that slogan that you're like, oh, that guy, that yeah. guy's just one of those yeah. tinfoil hatter, hattery, high in the sky guys. But when you really do think about it, I, I think the arguments are, are fairly compelling, to be honest. Uh, so I can't say that they're silly. But another thing that you hit on that I think is very important, another way to think about that cultural divide that I think about it is, here's a question. Here's a question to figure out where people align on this. Bill of Rights, question mark. Yay or yeah or nah? How about that? Bill of Rights or nah? Because I think there are plenty of people on the left they don't seem to see the value in the Bill of Rights, okay? They don't seem to – free speech, well, not hate speech, though. I mean, we really got to crack <laughs> right. down on that. Second Amendment, well, but not for those crazy assault rifles, those black plastic ones that look really scary like military ones. Search and seizure, uh, well, you know, it depends. Uh, uh, presumption of, of innocence and uh, due process, well, you know, unless you're a, a – prospective or would-be rapist on a college campus, then we're going to assume your guilt and, you know, we'll worry about sorting out the details later. To me on the left, you can go um, amendment by amendment and point out like where yeah. they are being hostile to these values. Um, and of all the, of all the, the documents crafted to conceive what should be protected outside of government and, and, People need to understand that's the way the Bill of Rights was crafted. These are individual inalienable rights that the government has no role in touching. Rights are not something the government gives you. They're something that exists outside of the government before the government exists. And uh, and we got plenty of people that just seem to say, ah, well, you know, that's that's not really that great of an idea. Well, actually, it's the best idea ever in terms of how to craft a government. And if we can't agree on that, ugh, I don't know that there's much left. I, I, my understanding, and I'm no historian, right? But my understanding is that there was a rift among the founding fathers, you know, in, in documenting the the Constitution, including those first ten amendments. Uh, that, and I can't quote who was on which side of the of the rift, but that there shouldn't be a Bill of Rights because you know those things should just be obvious, right? The, 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 those rights, you know, the, the things that are not explicitly granted to the government in the document are reserved to the people, right? The ninth and 10th amendments are, are basically stating that, you know what, the government doesn't have any rights that aren't, you know, enumerated inside of this document. And, you know, so yeah, the default position should be that the rights are to the people and not to the government. And, uh, and that, you know, making these things explicit in the bill of rights was kind of setting a bad precedent of saying that, you know, we need to enumerate things that are rights of the citizens. And I, I think there's, there's something uh, kind of interesting about that argument. And it, it might be, um, you know, it, it, there might be some truth to the idea that people kind of take the enumeration of rights in the Bill of Rights to be kind of uh, implication that you don't have a right unless the government gives it to you, which I think is, yeah. is an insidious well, and nasty idea. 
Yeah. And maybe that, how that, maybe that's how that outlook comes to be. But the other side of that is these rights are clearly not obvious to a huge segment of society. You know, you mentioned they, maybe they shouldn't be included because they're just obvious. Like these, this is not the appropriate role of government. It's not the appropriate role of government to tell you what you can and can't say. It's not the appropriate role of government to come into your house whenever they want, that sort of thing. But there are plenty of people yeah. apparently who clearly do not find that obvious at all. So at the end of the day, I'm glad that it's written in there because it's come to be pretty important as far as society has evolved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, not necessarily that it should be obvious, but that, uh, you know, without an explicit statement that you don't yeah. have these rights, right? You are, you, you have the, the freedom, life, liberty, and property, right? To, to do what you will with your own life, your own, you know, your own property and, and dispose of those things as, as you see fit. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the ethos of, of kind of the, the founding of the U S and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's taken a turn, right? And, you know, the, the, you talked about kind of the, the, the division, you know, that, that, that comes from the, uh, you know, the, the Democratic Party. And I, I, I hesitate to, you know, it, it might seem that I pile on to the Democrats quite a bit, but I, I do. By I do, all means, they deserve uh, it. Well, I do hate Democrats and Republicans <laughs> equally, I guess. Well, I, I don't hate huh. them. That's, that's, that's the wrong word. Yeah. That could be taken the wrong way. But, you know, I, <laughs> the, the, those parties equally have nothing for me, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're both. Both, um, you know, arguing over who should have the power, and yes, they, you know, instead of instead of taking eighteen percent of my money, one of them wants to take, you know, twenty three or you know whatever the numbers work out to be, right? Um, but it's it's not really a material difference; it's just a difference in degree. So, but you know, the 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 when they were choosing the uh, new Democratic uh, Party chairperson, right? And, and the, the woman gave the, uh, gave the speech saying that it's my job to yeah. shut down white people, right? I emailed her and got a response uh, from Sally Boynton Brown. Yeah. yeah. God, uh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Oh, I just, that was just, you know, case in point of the, um, you know, the... I, I, I was, I did a podcast interview. I, I do another podcast. This one's kind of a fledgling new thing, but I do a podcast interview okay. where I interview software developers, right? And I was talking uh -huh. to a, a well-known software developer about um, diversity, right? That, that's a big thing to him. And he made the comment of, you know, oh, here we are, two white guys talking about diversity, which you yeah. know, kind of, you know, and, and I, I laughed it off at the time, but, but yeah, the idea yeah. that your opinion has less value because of your race and gender. I mean, yeah. isn't that the very thing that, that, that we opposed in the first place? Why all of this, all of this diversity movement came about. Right. And so when, yeah, and it, it just makes no sense. Even to Sally Boynton Brown's point, she gets up on the, the DNC candidate, DNC chair candidate who said, it's my job to shut white people down and let these black people do the talking and take leadership roles. I watched that and it's like, okay, have a seat then lady. Like if you believe this to be true, why are you running for chair so that you can listen to those black people and do exactly what they say? Because as we know, black people are all a monolith and they all have the same opinion. So they'll give her one clear directive on behalf of the entire black community. But if, even if that's true, Sally resign or quit, bow out of this race because you're a white person. Therefore you need to be shut down in favor of these black people. What are you doing here? Good point. What are you doing here? It, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of this, this self-loathing, right? It's, uh, I, I guess kind of, uh, you know, the, um, 
the 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 corollary to the the idea of Uncle Tom, right? That that you you, you must be self-loathing. Although I mean, I mean, people being accused of being an Uncle Tom is mostly just uh, bloviating of you know you you have a different opinion and therefore yeah you know well that's some of the worst uh, the worst racism that I witness on a daily basis is a lot of um, racial minority friends I have who don't fit into the progressive thought box and they dare to deviate. They dare to leave that progressive thought box, even if they don't even believe what they're saying and they're just engaging in an intellectual exercise and asking questions. Oh, you're an uncle Tom. You're a coon. You're a this, you're a that just for having the wrong opinion. I don't, um, I will say that like, if there is a such thing as white privilege, quote unquote, um, generally speaking, I don't think that is quite as bad for white people. Now, there are plenty of people who will dismiss my opinion and yours, Sally Boynton Brown included, because we're white people. And I have had people, plenty of people throw that at me. Well, you're a white guy. Yeah. So of course you think that, or of course you think this. But I, I've not had people throw like vile racial slurs at me just because I think something. That is something that I see unique to to racial minorities coming from within their own racial group. And it's Seriously, it's the worst racism I see outside of like, I don't know, the actual tiki torch guys. Maybe they're <laughs> maybe they're worse. I don't know. But generally speaking, like in my daily day to day experience, it's that stuff. It's it's racial minorities against intellectually deviant other racial minorities. Do you have knowledge of what is the significance of the tiki torches? I, I don't. I mean, it seems like such a non-threatening thing. I, I heard somebody say that they thought that it had to do with um, kind of a, a veiled threat that they were going to burn Jewish synagogues and black churches or something along those no lines. Idea. But I, 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 I don't, no idea. Is, is there significance? It's hard. To it's it? hard for me to look at it and treat it seriously because it's it's such a silly spectacle that I, that I almost look at that and think like. Okay, real talk, guys. Like, are we are we trolling here? Like, are we just trolling? Is that what's going on? <laughs> it seems it like it. Seems like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine a a serious you know person taking up a swastika. Right? I mean, I just, I, I don't. That, that doesn't register with me. That you know, I mean, even in the face of, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess you know, the the likes of the Richard Spencers and some of those guys saying that you know, hey, there's there's all of this you know pro uh, black community stuff out there. Why can't there be a pro white community? I, I have no interest in any of those kinds of things. Um, but, but I guess, you know, he might have a point, right? That, that uh, you know, whites standing up for their own culture. Oh, I, maybe. Oh yeah. But, I think they do. Well, I, th I think you got to look at, again, this is not an endorsement of either group, but I do think to be intellectually honest, you got to look at black lives matter, black nationalist stuff in the same light as we look at white nationalist yeah. stuff. I yeah. don't, I don't know why you would look at one and say, Oh, that's clearly uh yeah, that's, that's uh that's morally upstanding. Yeah. That's necessary. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's great. And then the other, you look now, Charlottesville again, absent the violence. So I'm talking about just the Tiki torch March, not, not the violence, not the car thing, just the demonstration, which again was permitted and lawful and all that. Yeah. We can look at it and say, ah, it's, it's silly. It's, uh, it seems like a lot of bad ideas and a lot of silly dudes who probably haven't, thought through some of these bad ideas for whatever reason. But I don't think you can look at that. And this is another area in which I deviate from the left. They would look at that and say, no, that, that demonstration is morally inferior yeah. to a black lives matter demonstration. To me, it's a difference 
of opinion, but it's actually kind of the same opinion. I, th I think you're and right. Both doing the yeah. same thing, the same way that I would say Democrats and Republicans are basically the same. You know, two sides of the same coin. I think. I think. I think you're right about that. Uh, there's still something especially abhorrent about seeing swastika flags that just makes my skin crawl. And sure. you know, I, I, I just, you know, e even even if you are in a you know kind of Richard Spencer camp, I can't see taking that next step. That I, you know, I'm going to identify with Nazism. That that. Uh, yeah, and I I don't know why you would. Uh, that's why I was kind of surprised to see that flag in Charlottesville. And there were a couple of people that, that I know they were doing the Sig Heil previously and stuff. Even if you agree with those ideas, the ideas of the Third Reich, you think, you know, they did a, they were pursuing something noble. The PR is pretty bad. So just from a politically smart perspective, if you wanted to make your brand better, I, you know, Pepe does a little better than the swastika. <laughs> Maybe go with that. <laughs> yeah. don't don't go with the swastika because it's it, it to your point a lot of people see that and think ah, you know i might have listened to you but i really can't now yeah totally totally yeah, yeah you know the, the the confederate flag i think is is different I, I think that's something that is a symbol that you could take a lot of different ways and i, I think that you know it, having it over state houses uh, okay you've got a case that's that's not probably a, a great place for that but you know at the same time i mean it means something to you, right? It might yeah. mean something different to somebody else. And I guess if I'm going to apply that to the Confederate flag, I have to do it to the Nazi flag too, which, you know, sure. again, I, I feel so uncomfortable with that. But, you know, I, th I think uh, there's um, there are a lot of reasons that uh, Southern pride is, is you know, acceptable to me, you know, it, sure. and I, I don't think that it's necessarily a statement of racism. Now, you know, I, of course, slavery is in the context of anything that you're going to talk about regarding the Civil War and the history of the South and the history of the United States of America, right? It's not just the South. Uh, but uh, I, I think that reasonable people can look at those, those symbols and see something different. Oh, yeah, there's a high degree of subjectivity there. And when I look at the Confederate monument stuff, I, I can see compelling arguments for both sides of that subjectivity. I can see people who make the heritage argument and I can see people who say, no, this was the flag that flew over the institution of slavery and we should move on from that. Um, and I so in that stuff, in, in those cases, you know, as far as Confederate monuments and stuff, look. I defer to Georgia and South Carolina and the cities and counties within there to decide what they want to do with their monuments. And if they individually decide that they should come down for those purposes, good for them. Great. Uh, but in no means, uh, uh, in, uh, am I in favor by no means am I in favor of, um, of this mob rule, you know, vandalism, tear it down. Cause we don't like it type stuff. That's, uh, that's not a precedent you want to be setting. Yeah. Well, like what you said with the, the Trump rally in Chicago, right? The, the idea of a counter protest. And I think I heard you say something about this on, on something somewhere that I was listening to, right? That if you are protesting, protesting, then, uh, you know, you're basically opposed to the right of people to assemble. Uh, I don't, I can't, I can't remember the context. I, I wouldn't say that. I certainly think you have the right to protest a protest. I think you have the right to protest anything. I, what I don't think you have the right to do is violently impose yourself upon anyone for any reason, unless they are violently imposing upon you. Like self-defense is the justification for violence and that's about it. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, I, I think there are silly ones like Boston would be an example where no Nazis show up. It's like a, a few dozen allegedly right-wing speakers and yet the town fills with 40,000 people 
counter protesting about Nazis and white nationalists and stuff. I think that's silly. I think your message is dumb because there aren't any here. Yeah. But if you want to do it, go for it. You don't have the right to throw pee at cops, though. That's that's that was the other thing. Yeah, we were doing. yeah, yeah. Violent acts, right? Acts of aggression are you know it's yeah. uh, you know meet the libertarian, right? The non-aggression yeah. principle that and and and, uh, and, yeah. and there's also I mean there is sort of uh, I don't know do I want to call it how do I want to call it without sounding silly? But there is a way in which you can deplatform a person without being physically aggressive either. Like I don't think you have a right to. Um, the classic example would be uh, the 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 uh, Shakespeare in the Park Caesar play where they storm the stage and protest. That's not protest. That's taking someone else's podium. Yes. You have a right to protest outside and say, this is stupid, whatever. It's dumb. Don't go to this play. But you don't have a right to disrupt the play. So I guess disruption is probably the standard that I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. People are consuming You have a right to material. counter, but not disrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Or, and it's the same thing as standing in someone's path or blocking the road or any of those things, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, exactly. you're messing with somebody's ability to exercise their freedom. And that's that's not okay with me. I Yeah, completely agreed. Well, Matt, I think we've, we've agreed on more than we've disagreed. I think we've about come to the time that we had allotted here. So... I think, uh, you know, uh, thanks very much. Uh, where, where can people uh, keep up with you? Uh, I, I enjoyed the time. Thanks for hosting me. Uh, so the best way to find me is uh, you can find my links to everything on Twitter, and that's where I'm most responsive generally. So at ML Christensen. That is Christian, like the religion, S-E-N. Absolutely. It's long. Um, but you can find me on YouTube. It's Matt Christensen. Uh, I'm on Minds at ML Christensen. Just generally Google Google me. And, uh, and you'll find me. Right on. I, I, cool. My name's like so long <laughs> to spell and stuff. I hate like trying to direct people to places, but yeah. Cool. Um, well, a yeah, pleasure to connect with me. you. Totally. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for hosting. Mm-hmm.